It's good to be with you. I'm Pastor Brent Oakwood. Normally I'm over on Faith East, so I get the privilege of just being with you today. It's always a joy coming to you and seeing all the Faith Church North, so I'm glad to be here with you. When my son was learning to ride his bike, I did something a little bit unorthodox. I don't know, I don't necessarily recommend what I'm about to say to you if you're teaching your children to ride a bike, but it seemed to work. I had taken Josh to the church parking lot, and that's a wide open space, so there were no cars to hit. Um, But there certainly were light poles and parking islands that were widely spaced over those acres of lot there, and I was not prepared for how the attractive force of those things had to draw my son right to them. Nevertheless, I digress on that particular point. The biggest challenge was not the light poles, but the fact that Joshua would not or could not keep his feet on the pedals to keep the momentum going so that he could ride his bike. That freedom that he felt to constantly pull his feet off the pedals to save himself hindered him from the task at hand, learning to ride his bike. So with my engineering background, um, I, I had a solution. Guys, what is, the, uh, what is the life's solutions to all of the problems of life? What is it? Duct tape or Jesus. Duct tape or Jesus, but so... Duct tape, yes, I did that to my son. I duct tape his feet to the pedals. So now all of you are wanting to take my Parenting 101 Tips and Tricks class, right? No, you're not. Well, I strapped Josh's feet to the pedals with duct tape, and my son was constrained, forced to not attempt to save himself during the difficulty. I told him that I would be holding the back of his bike and running behind him, and I was not lying. I did that. He had to rely on me and me alone. You know, being constrained in such a way that you cannot save yourself truly is a vulnerable position to be in. And unless, that is, unless the person that is, you're relying on is greater than you. And my son had to rely on me. Well, I instructed him to pedal. And at first, I could see him instinctively trying to pull those little feet off of the pedals so that he could save himself, but he was securely strapped in. I instructed him to pedal harder and faster, and I ran behind him, keeping my hand on the back of his seat. Before you knew it, Josh was riding his bike, and I'm thankful for that. He learned, and he did not get hurt. Occasionally, as I was running, I said, look, Josh, no hands. It was me releasing so that he would have confidence that he was doing it on his own. Well, when Joshua was constrained not to save himself with his own power and to trust in somebody greater, he actually was able to accomplish the purpose that, he, that we had for that particular event. So, with that in mind, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. That's on page 181 in the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. We are continuing our series this morning, Hope for Everyday Life. Let me see if that'll come up here. Okay, Um, they're going to work it. So we'll, you just listen. I'm not going to worry about the PowerPoint for this, just this moment. So before we dive into the text, let's remind ourselves of some of the context that we have studied already. The Apostle Peter was writing to a group of churches facing rising persecution, most likely during the reign of the infamous Roman Emperor Nero. And the Christians were facing injustice from people outside of their church who had authority over them. Now, which one is more problematic most of the time? 
you know, uh, injustice from people under our authority, if I have some kind of a position of authority, or which one is more problematic, injustice from people over us? Yeah, the answer is most likely over us. If we are over somebody and they hurt us in some way, we can simply pull the levers of power that we have in authority and force a solution to the problem. However, um, we are likely to struggle more when we do not have the levers of power to pull and resolve a problem, and that's when we struggle. And it's understandable why. In those circumstances, our natural tendency is to attempt in some way to save ourselves and harm the person over us by attempting to escape the situation or grasping for power in the situation or slandering or manipulating or scheming against them or seeking revenge. Or we can sometimes go into the wet noodle approach, which means I'm just going to be cynical, apathetic. If it's my boss, I'm not going to do my best job and we'll show him I I become unproductive in my efforts if we attempt to save ourselves in those situations, okay? If we attempt to save ourselves when we're under unjust authority, just like my son, we won't be accomplishing the purpose that God has for us. Now, Peter has communicated up up to this point in this particular letter. He has communicated something about our purpose, okay? And men, do we have it up yet? Okay, you can follow along in your notes. I'm just going to read. Okay, I'm just going to read the text that I have in my notes. I'm not going to worry about the PowerPoint. So, Peter has communicated to us up to this point about our purpose. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And here's the purpose statement, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. In 1 Peter 2, 12, Peter said this, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So when they observe you, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. When he comes to set everything right, they will be okay because they have come to trust in the Lord as well. So there is our purpose, to strap into this broken world and engage so that we might proclaim the excellencies of God's value system so that others may come to know and glorify Him on the day of salvation. So here we go. I think here we go. So there's the two verses that I just quoted. Now, what response will enable us to show forth the excellencies of God? What is most precious to God in the midst of unjust suffering? And Peter has, and he will be, explaining and illustrating what is most precious to God. He has said this in 1 Peter 1.7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious, everyone say precious, precious than gold. So something about our belief is precious to God. Peter has also used this term precious in a different way. We've studied this before as well in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Coming to him, Christ, as a living stone which has been rejected by man, but is choice, and there's our word, precious. What is most precious? Christ is precious, but what was it about Christ that was precious? Peter says it again. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. 
And he said, there's something valuable to us. This is of precious value. So you see, Peter has a fascination, or at least he likes his word. He's using it often. Precious. What is that? Peter also will say to wives something, something as well. He'll say something, but I can't show it to you because it's not happening. All right. <laughs> what do you want me to do, Jeff? There we go. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. And there's our word, precious. Okay, so what is most precious to God in the midst of unjust suffering? If we follow our, you, our natural responses to unjust suffering, here's what's going to happen. We will not manifest what is precious to God. We will not fulfill our purpose And we may not see others come to know God during unjust suffering. Let's read about what God wants us to duct tape our feet to. Hear the word of the Lord in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Verse 18, the word of the Lord says this. Servants, be submissive. There it is, the duct tape. Okay, get yourself under. So servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are, can you believe this, unreasonable. For this finds favor. Now, now let's park right there for just a moment. There's, if you look in your Bibles, okay, for that word right there, finds. In your New American Standard Bible, if you're using those chair Bibles, you will see that that word there is italicized. That's an indication that that's an interpretive decision by the translators, that they're adding that word because that seems most logical to them. Um, but that word there in the Greek is not actually there. Really, the, the statement says this, for this, and there's no verb, this grace, the word favor is also grace, this grace, I'm going to unpack that a little bit later on in our sermon today. For this grace, or this is grace, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it patiently and and you endure it, this, same kind of problem there with the translation, this is grace with God. And you have been called for this. Oh, there it is again. This is what God is trying to duct tape our feet to. This is your purpose. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, when Christ duct-taped himself to this kind of a purpose, something happened to you if you are in Christ. By his wounds, you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep. But now, because of what Christ did, you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. This morning we are speaking about manifestations of hope in the midst of unjust suffering. 
And here we have three specific actions to take, and these will be manifestations. If, if you believe what we've sung about this morning, our hope, if you believe what Peter has been talking about throughout this epistle, that we have a living hope, if I believe that, then it will come out in my actions. And here is the first action to take. Adopt a submissive posture. Verses 18 through 20 are directly addressed to slaves that have become Christians in ancient Rome. And I know you're thinking, Brent, we don't have slavery around here. And praise the Lord, we don't. Okay, so, so what, what applicable um, principle is there here for us? Well, well, let me talk about that for just a moment. Anytime we speak about Roman slavery, remember that it was not the same as the horrific American slavery that we have experienced in our country's history. Some ancient slaves in the Roman Empire were indeed well-educated. They indeed lived well, and they had meaningful jobs underneath their masters. And they could, over time, possibly purchase their freedom. However, both ancient slavery and the American slavery that we know still meant ownership. A slave was not free. And while institutionalized legal slavery does not exist today here, thank the Lord, there are always authority structures that we find ourselves duct tape into, whether it's a job or, or the government or whatever it may be, we find ourselves underneath authority. And Peter makes a remarkable statement, duct tape yourself into that situation, adopt a submissive posture by intentionally, oh, this is hard sometimes, in our American independent individualistic type of mentality that we are our own, oh, you place yourself into, you engage into that particular situation. We like to be over people, not under people. And our natural instincts, as I have mentioned, when we are under somebody in authority over us, and it's unjust, our natural instinct is attempting to escape the situation or grasping for power in the situation or slandering the, the boss or manipulating or seeking revenge. And each of these natural responses focuses on exalting ourselves over. And for what purpose? so that we might do the exact same thing to that individual who hurt us. Um, That's what we attempt to do. And Peter says something entirely different. He says, lean in, lean in there. Lean in to that duct tape. Lean in to being under instead of trying to grasp your way to get over them. Why? Folks, as we see in God's grand plan, Our position under unjust suffering, okay, listen to me on this, our position under unjust suffering is precisely where redemption comes from, okay? And from that position in unjust suffering and being under, you can also do this. You can give those people over you appropriate respect, okay? Can you believe this? Somebody in my situation with whom I am duct taped to and has treated me poorly, I am to honor and respect. The answer is, say yes. Yes. And the word here translated respect is the same word that Peter uses in other very similar authority structures, even of God. 
honor all people, love the brotherhood. This is the same word here, respect or fear God. In our context, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear or respect. 1 Peter 3, 2, wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And then he's going to say this again later, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness, and there it is, respect or reverence. Here's the point. The point in unjust suffering. Though the individual may have treated you as lesser, okay, so when somebody's over you and they're intentionally treating you as lesser by their unjust behavior, that's not a cause for us to treat them as lesser. You treat them as somebody greater than yourself. Again, in this position, under unjust suffering is precisely where um, God will begin to unpack what it means to be precious. And this is where redemption may come from. So in this position under, you have the ability to be kind in your responses, gentle in your responses, and yes, diligence in your work efforts, even though your boss may not acknowledge that. Appropriate appeals with communication that is respectful. And obedience in non-sinful requests. However, I know what you're thinking. Which is a typical response of the American in our society. Am I supposed to be a doormat, Pastor Brent, and let people walk all over me? And the answer is no. The answer is no. We have other ways of responding as well. In Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies devotional that I would encourage you to think about getting if you're looking for a devotional, Paul Tripp has one called New Morning Mercies. And recently in the February 28th edition, um, it says this. There are an awful lot of things that we call love that really don't rise to the level of what love is and what love does. Being willing to tolerate things that are wrong. Okay? If you're under authority and there's somebody asking you to do wrong, um, being willing to tolerate things that are wrong in the eyes of God may create a comfortable situation of peace, but it isn't what love does. I think often we opt for silence, willingly avoiding issues and letting wrong things go unchecked, not because we love the other person, but because we love ourselves and we just don't want to go through the hassle of dealing with something that God says is clearly wrong. We are unwilling to make the hard personal sacrifices that are the call to real love. Now, I'm not talking about being self-righteous, judgmental, critical, or condemning. The moment I go down that path, I'm trying to put myself over somebody by looking down upon them. Love doesn't turn its back on you because you are wrong. Love doesn't mock you. Love doesn't mean that I turn the tables and work to make you hurt in the same way you have hurt me. Love moved towards you, okay? There's the duct tape my feet into the situation, Love moves towards you so that you may be made right again and be reconciled to God and others. When we function this way, when we function this way, from this position, underneath, redemption may arise, okay? But also when we function this way and I'm willing to do what is right and speak about things that are wrong, I also may face this, okay? I may face consequences for doing what is right as well. P. 
Peter makes a statement about facing consequences for doing what is right, and Peter says this amazing statement, this finds favor with God. Can you believe that? And we have to ask ourselves this question. Is God some kind of a masochist who derives pleasure from our pain and then rewards us for us? Is God some kind of a masochist? What do you say? Say no. I mean, this is not characteristic of our God, so we need to understand what's going on here. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit later on in our sermon. I will explain this in our last point for now. For now, however, the first hope-filled, inspired action to take during unjust suffering that God finds precious. Lean in. Duct tape your feet. Lean into that being under position. Duct tape your feet right there. And secondly, and not surprisingly, is this. Embrace your calling. Okay, so if, if this is what we're supposed to do, then this is probably what Christ did. And it is. Embrace your calling to be like Christ amidst unjust suffering. And folks, we are about to behold what God finds precious about Christ. Remember, Christ was the precious cornerstone. Okay? And this precious value then, what does that mean? We're about to see it. Peter's given us the truth that our faith is more precious than gold. Peter's given us the truth that Christ is the precious cornerstone. Peter is referred to something that is of precious value. What is it? And here it is. Okay? For you have been called for this purpose. Okay, here it is. Christ suffered for you. Okay? Leaving you this example. Oh, this is, this is hard. This is hard. Leaving you this example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. There was no clamoring to get over. No revenge. No escape. Not even a word under his breath about his oppressors. While he was suffering... He uttered no threats, but he just kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. There he was allowing his feet and hands not to be duct taped, but to be nailed to the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. There is the precious purpose that we have been called to. This is to what God is duct-taping our feet. And this is surprising, an unbelievable, counter-cultural, and upside-down response to unjust suffering. Lean into it, as found ultimately in the example of Christ. So if you are a child of God, okay, you will be more and more looking like this preciousness, because this is what is precious to God, and God is molding us here. If you are a child of God, this is what we will be looking more and more like. Michael Wilcox states about God and his people, a fascinating statement here. In the life of God's people, if you are a child of God, 
in the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. God's people, God's people will prize what the, what the world calls pitiable. Right? And God's people will suspect what the world thinks is desirable. You know, when the world encounters unjust suffering from authorities, here is their typical response. This is what is desirable to the world. I can't wait until he gets his, or I can't wait till I get in power over you, or wait till I find a way to scheme against you. You shoot me with a pistol, I will bring out the bazooka. I cannot wait and rejoice in seeing the day when my perpetrator of my injustice will get a taste of his own medicine. That's what the world delights in. God's people should see all of that as suspect and not precious. God's people should prize something that is unfathomable to the world, and that's this. Hard to say. When people treat you evilly, what do you do in return? You return good for evil. In facing the mocking of his enemies, Christ did not return evil for evil. But in the face of evil, here's what he was doing. He was actually absorbing the evil, absorbing the injustice of others. And Faith Church North, this is what is precious. Okay? This is what is precious. Christ was bearing our sins in his body. He was absorbing our sins. Here is what God finds precious, absorbing the injustice of others. When God duct tapes our feet to unjust suffering, he is molding us into this image because this is what he said to his son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one I have found precious And his actions of absorbing the injustice of others is what I find precious. And I'm going to mold my people into this image. This is what we are to prize. You say, Brent, how do we follow Christ's example here? I mean, I kind of know what it means to return good for evil. When somebody treats me evilly, I can be kind in return. I know it's supernatural, but I can do that. But what does it mean to absorb the injustice of others. I I don't quite understand how I can do that. And let me explain. Of course you do. Uh, So when I explain this, you will see, yes, I get it. Every injustice has a cost. Every injustice has a cost. What makes an injustice an injustice is that it hurts another. When I perform some kind of injustice against you, It costs you something. It may cost you earthly possessions, like I take something from you. It may cost you bodily hurt. I may actually physically hurt you. I may do something that causes you to lose a relationship. So there's a cost. Now we know what we want when there is an injustice. The expectation of justice. How do I make this right? The cost is has to be paid. And by whom? Okay. The person who perpetrated that injustice, who, who cost me something, that person should bear the cost and make it right. Now, however, 
Let's put that in the context of our relationship with God for just a moment. Okay? Our personal injustices against God could never be paid for by us. The cost is infinite. The wages of sin is our death. So if there is any hope to be getting out from under the cost that we have, concern, that we have incurred okay, for our sin against God... That necessitates something, my friends, and it necessitates this. Someone who will bear the cost that we could not pay. And that is Jesus who provides something called forgiveness. And what is forgiveness, my friends? Forgiveness is possible only when the just one that we have sinned against chooses to absorb the cost of the unjust. Jesus Christ absorbed the, your sins in his body so that you could be forgiven. And what does he ask us to do with others that God finds precious? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. If you want to be like Jesus and what is precious here, one of his children, Forgiveness is when the just one chooses to absorb the cost of the unjust. So what does that mean for us if we're going to be like Jesus and absorb the injustice of others? In the terms that we have been using, forgiveness is when you lower yourself, remembering that you are just like the perpetrator who perpetrated an injustice against you. And you needed to absorb you needed somebody to absorb your injustice, and that someone was Christ who came down and lowered himself under you, considering you greater, and absorbed your sins in his body and forgave you. So certainly, you can extend that grace as an act of forgiveness to others. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means more than that, but it means at least that. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So, friends, what is unjust suffering an opportunity for? Here it is to display the precious value of returning good for evil and absorbing that injustice like the precious way that our Savior did for us. Believers, we certainly don't seek suffering. There's, the Bible never calls us to go out there and, hey, I'm going to go out there and seek to be a victim of something. The Bible never calls us to do that. So we don't seek suffering. But when it comes, we savor the opportunity to show forth what is precious. Oh, this is very difficult. What is most precious? We don't pursue injustices. But when they come, we prize the opportunity that injustice gives us to reflect what is most precious to God. We don't seek to escape injustices but we engage them for the possible glory of highlighting what God values the most. Two years ago, we studied through the Gospel of John, and perhaps you remember that John's constant refrain regarding the cross of Jesus Christ 
was the hour of Christ's glory. I don't know if you remember that. But in John 12, verse 27 through 28, Jesus Christ, a few days before his work on the cross, he says this, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Shall I say this? Father, release the duct tape. Father, save me from this hour. He doesn't say that. He says, but for this purpose I came. I came for this hour. Duct tape my feet to it. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What is most glorious to God is not the fact that he parted the Red Sea, that he has the power to do that. It's not the fact that he created the galaxies. The glory of God is manifested right there on the cross. What is most precious, that glory, was the inverted value system of the greatest glory of returning good for evil and absorbing our sin in the body of Christ. That is precious. Forgiveness, the love of God. And that's our purpose as well. That glory was the love of God in Christ, blazing from the sun, S-O-N, like the sun, S-U-N. And that was the epitome of God's glory. On the cross, Jesus submitted to his Father and the unjust authorities around him showing the greatest glory of all, God's love in extending his grace in forgiveness There is the precious value. That's what God is molding his children into. So if our Heavenly Father has duct taped our feet to the petals of unjust suffering, I know this is hard. Embrace this opportunity without trying to save yourself. Because if you try to save yourself, you won't achieve the purpose that God has for you. Therefore, you have to, number three, you have to entrust all aspects of your life, all aspects of your life to somebody who is greater than you. Just like my son, when I duct tape his feet to the bicycle, he had to trust somebody greater that he wasn't going to fall and hurt himself. 1 Peter 2 says this, for this, and I gave you the explanation, this is grace. If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this is grace with God. Christ kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Entrust all of your life to him because God extends grace or favor in this situation. Friends, I mentioned to you that the word find, as in this finds favor with God, is not in the original Greek. This is an interpreted decision by the translators and could be construed by some unfamiliar with God's word that God is some kind of a cosmic masochist. He drives joy out of our pain and that could not be further from the truth. That's a horrible view of God and not consistent with the character of God. Certainly our God weeps with those who weep. And he does not delight in suffering. Also, that phrase, this finds favor with God, can mean that God will one day exalt those who have taken the posture of being under and they have embraced the example of Christ. 
Later, Peter will mention the reward that God gives. You will receive a crown of righteousness. However, let me show you what Peter also may have in mind with that particular phrase, this finds favor or this is grace. That word favor is the word for grace. And in every other instance in Peter's writing, the translators translated as grace. This is the only place in Peter's writings where it's translated as favor. Perhaps Peter is saying this, and the moment I say it, the moment I say it, I think you'll see maybe what Peter had in mind. Perhaps Peter is saying this, when you return good for evil, and when you absorb the injustice of others through forgiveness, what is that? This is grace. This is grace. And what is our purpose? To highlight, to glorify the love of God and His grace. This is grace. When you do this, you return good for evil, you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, you magnify God's grace. That's what we do. Entrust all of your life to Him. Because it is an example of His grace. Also because God judges righteously. Earlier I spoke about all injustices having a cost and the expectation of justice is that the perpetrator bear the costs. So God judging righteously means that you have a choice. You have a choice. Either you allow the Son of God to bear the cost of your injustice or you will bear the cost yourself eternally. The Lord one day will make everything right and he settles all the scores. If you don't know today that you have somebody to bear the cost of your injustices against God, will you see one of the pastors? We want to introduce you to the one who will give you grace and will bear the cost of your sins today. His name is Jesus Christ who absorbed your sins in his body for the opportunity that you may be healed. There's also the possibility of one way that God may make things right. He may make it right through you showing grace like he has to you and drawing the source of injustice, the perpetrator, to himself. Because if you show grace, if you handle righteous suffering... If you handle suffering unjustice righteously, God may use you to bring about healing. Believers, how were you healed? You were healed by the blazing brilliance of the love of God in Jesus Christ who returned good for evil and absorbed your sins in his body. By his stripes you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned. And because you have been healed... He calls you to that same purpose with others. Tim Keller says this, Unless you are amazed by the mercy Christ gave you, you will never be empowered to provide the mercy he requires to others. Unjust suffering. Unjust suffering. God is strapping our feet into this with duct tape. And he's asking us to trust him for something gloriously better than this world to highlight the grace of God that he extends. And let's close with this this morning. 
What is our motivation for this kind of supernatural reversal of values where I'm called to act in such an unnatural way? What is the, how do I gender up the motivation for this kind of activity? How do I, how do I not seek to be exalted over my abuser? How do I not clamor for the security of my lost possessions? How do I not pursue revenge for those who have hurt me now? How do I not chase the hurt of others who have hurt me? How could it ever be true that earthly power and vengeance and exaltation over those who hurt me doesn't control me so that it's my driving force in life? Here's the only way. We've been talking about manifestations of hope. Peter has been talking about our living hope. The only way for me to function the way that we've been talking about here is, is if I have this hope. If you have experienced forgiveness for your inexcusable injustices, you can offer forgiveness without limits. If because God has forgiven you and your future is secure, what do you have to fear now? You can engage in this precious pattern of Christ without fear. If your life is eternal, what do you have to lose now? You can simply sacrifice that life as our Savior did. If you are promised riches that cannot fade, what hinders you from using your possessions now to bless others? You can be generous to the one who hurt you. If you have a righteousness that God is well pleased with in Christ, the precious righteousness of Christ and was growing in you following his example. Why do we keep trying to impress others right now? You can simply love. If you have the promise of exaltation, the hope of exaltation in the future, why would there be any issue at all in being lowly underneath people now? We can adopt a submissive posture and embrace that example of Christ. There's where the hope comes in. We're talking about manifestations of hope. And because Peter has set forth this in his letter, we have a living hope. Oh, Faith Church North, let's not try to escape the sufferings. But if they come, when they come, engage, duct tape our feet into it. Savor the opportunity, engage, prize it, so that we might show what is most precious. And maybe, maybe, That unjust authority might be healed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us clear direction and guidance. Thank you for showing forth what is most precious in the life of Christ and the promise that you're transforming us into what is most precious as well. Father, help us to believe what we have talked about this morning and this week. Whatever happens in the midst of unjust suffering, Let us view this as an opportunity supernaturally to live like our Savior does in dependence upon Him, for it's in His name we pray. Amen.